Welcome everyone. I'm Colleen Patterson with the Clinician Exchange. Today's roundtable is being recorded. However, the final 20 minutes of the presentation will only be for today's live audience. Be sure to submit your questions using the QA button below, as we'll capture as many of those live during the presentation as possible. Today, we're partnering with the MedTechSperts to present the next webinar in their Art of the Science series, Actionable Clinical Insights. The Art of the Science series will continue on the third Thursday of each month through the end of the year. Our moderator, Ted Newell, has over 35 years of experience in as a successful medical device marketing, sales, and operations executive. And with that, I'll now pass the presentation over to Ted. Sorry about that, Colleen. I had my microphone muted. But anyway, thank you very much, Colleen. And I'm not going to bring my image up quite yet while we have the slide here. Um, but everybody, welcome to the program today. And also a big thank you to Colleen and the crew um, at the Clinician Exchange for helping us organize these webinars. That's one of the uh, many services that the Clinician Exchange offers to their clients, and they do a great job at webinars and, and many other things. So again, welcome to everybody, especially those that are returning and some of those people that are attending today that are new. Our featured speaker today is Skender Derti, who is the CEO of the Clinician Exchange. And after Skender and I go through a bit of uh, subject matter expertise, we will be joined by the panelists, Frank Rapullo, who is the managing partner of Accelerant Consulting, Scott Alexander, who's the CEO of Gyrus Micromarketing, Barbara Strain, who's the principal at Barbara Strain Consulting, and we heard from her last month, and then Mike Sperduti, who's the CEO of Emerge Sales. And one thing I'd like to point out before we move to the next slide and before I open up my image is that uh, this is part of, uh, of a program sort of related to strategic planning. And so let's go ahead and move to the next slide before we get into. So this is the Art of the Science series. And last month, Barbara helped us with the voice of the customer. And this month, we're into actionable clinical insights with Skender Darity. And one program flows into the other. And so if we could go to the next slide, please. And so today, the questions we're trying to answer and address and help with are, do you have a clear clinical value proposition? And then have you tested that clinical value proposition against the voice of the customer? So those are what we're going to discuss today with Skender in just a few minutes. And as we did in the last program, we're going to have a small section on strategic planning which we'll pull together completely in one of the last programs of the year. But we're just putting out elements of the strategic plan. So if we could go to the next slide. And this is sort of the roadmap for the customer conversion experience that we're trying to address with a strategic plan. And today we're focusing really early on at the voice of the customer, which you can see right there at the beginning of the program. And the whole concept of a good constructive value proposition, a good clinical value proposition. So let's touch on strategic planning for just a moment. If we go to the next slide and let's just move right on. Right. The elements of the strategic plan, assumptions, SWOT analysis, goals and objectives, key strategies, strategies, and the supporting tactics. 
and then applying a plan to headcount and budget. So last month, we addressed assumptions. This month, we're going to talk very quickly about a SWOT analysis. So next slide, please. Next. Yeah, there we go. SWOT analysis. So first of all, with a SWOT analysis, you have to be, one important thing is you've got to be honest and you have to ditch the ivory tower mentality because we're talking about strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And if you're not honest about those things, then your strategic plan will not be very good or not very effective. So strengths and weaknesses, which are on this slide, are typically internally focused. And most companies are very familiar with what their strengths are, maybe a little bit overconfident, but what are you good at? Or do you have any unique resources, capabilities, or skills? So for example, maybe you just have the lowest cost of goods of any of your competitors. Maybe you have some really unique intellectual property, really great ties with key opinion leaders. Those could be strengths that you would have. And a weakness that you could have would be things that need improvement, like perhaps you don't have a digital marketing campaign going at this time, and you need to implement that. Perhaps your prospecting is really weak, which is fairly dangerous in this day and age. And then maybe you're, lack, you're, you're lacking some resources. So, And that could be, do you have the right kind of budget and or funding for a product launch? And then clinical application specialists to support your new customers. Another weakness you could have is you've really not addressed the voice of the customer and you're not really absolutely clear that your value proposition will resonate. And we'll get right into that here soon. So let's go to the next slide. Then the opportunities and threats, the other part of the SWOT analysis, opportunities are typically externally focused. So are threats. An opportunity could be that you got a large market, um, perhaps reimbursement's going to start for you this year. Um, you know, is there a strength that can become an opportunity? So and so on. And threats, there, which are, like I said a minute ago, are also externally focused. What could hurt you? You know, just a second ago, I said reimbursement. Maybe reimbursement's going to get cut this year on your particular product, whether it's a disposable or capital good. Um, maybe unimpressive results of a clinical trial. What about your competition? Maybe you've heard that one of your competitors is in talks with a market gorilla, one of the big companies in your marketplace to get acquired, which means there'd be a lot more resources uh, in favor of that competitor. And then regulations. You know, a lot of people really underestimate the time it takes to get something cleared with the FDA and now in particular a CE mark over in Europe. So those could be the threats that are externally focused. So you need to keep all those things into consideration. And by the way, for people that want copies of these slides, I'm sure we can get them to you. Just make some comment um, uh, at the end in the survey. So now you you participated in a poll earlier in the program while we we're waiting for people to um, arrive. So we're going to put up the results of that poll as we get ready to introduce Skender. <clears throat> so Skender, you might want to fire up your video. And see, let's see here. So when was the last time you did a formal voice to the customer? In the last six months, in the last year? Unknown. Mm, 63%. In the last five years. So, uh, gosh over 80%, you know, either unknown or in the last five years. Have you aligned your value propositions with your voice of the customer for your different lines? And that's really important because it can really 
change from one line to the other. And almost uh, 30 plus percent, well, no, excuse me, 13% yes, 19 no, and a lot of unknowns, which, um, okay, so that's a weakness. <laughs> In your SWOT analysis, that's a weakness right there for everybody. So, Skender, thanks for being back in the program. And Skender is our subject matter today, uh, expert today on the whole concept of actionable clinical insights and how they're going to relate to voice the customer and your value proposition. Welcome, Skender. Thanks, Dad. Excited to uh, excited to do this today. Sure. So, when you think about the concept of clinical experience, what does that mean to you? Yeah, great question. So the way we look at uh, clinical experience is, is from the traditional paradigms of med tech, okay? Med tech has primarily been focused on two paradigms, and that was science. Clearly, we're in the medical field where the medical device technology, medical technology companies are seeking to serve some sort of scientific need or medical need. So science is one paradigm. The other paradigm is engineering, whether that be traditional mechanical engineering or digital engineering. And that was where the majority of the focus came in in developing technologies, developing products to help uh, some sort of therapeutic need. However, what we've seen is a major shift across all industries, okay? We're not just talking about healthcare anymore. Think about tech, think about consumer products, consumer goods, et cetera. We have this entire shift going more towards customer experience, Okay, and that's why you see all of these new age companies having these customer success teams. And but in medtech, we're still focused on the traditional science and engineering, which are probably still 80 to 90 percent of what needs to happen to make a successful uh, transaction and have a build a successful relationship with a thriving healthcare practitioner. The challenge is we have to really get insight as to what is that experience those healthcare practitioners are looking for, okay? And, and the experience comes down to brand trust, brand confidence. It's how when we were all used to going to stores previously to go and buy products, we would go into stores that we were most comfortable with and most familiar with and be able to touch and feel the goods and get a sense for the decor of the store and what it looked like. And now that we've transitioned to more of an online presence, we rely so heavily on ratings. Okay. And it's to get that sense of brand trust and confidence. And that's what experience comes down to is, can I trust this brand? Can I trust this person? Can I trust uh, that I'm going to have a good experience uh, and be confident that this is going to suit the needs that the company and the representatives are telling me uh, that it will. So with that said, what we talk a lot about is getting that clinical experience, having that insight, and it all starts off with voice of customer getting that insight from those healthcare practitioners and those healthcare providers to guide you as to what they're looking for and what they need. And that's what you consider an actionable clinical insight. That's that's exactly it. I mean, look at the poll numbers, right? I mean, yeah. some people have said, yes, we've done a voice of customer session, but we didn't incorporate it into the value proposition, right? So essentially what we've done is either they, they attempted to try and validate something that they just assumed and wanted to hear other people say the things that they were hoping to validate, or they took some some information and never properly incorporated it. That's what an actionable clinical insight is, is, is actually getting ingrained within your customers and understanding what drives their experience, what's going to cause them to want to go from one brand to another, one product to another, et cetera. And that's what we look to, uh, to help drive today is an actionable clinical insight. 
So if we're taking that to the voice of the customer, what constitutes a meaningful voice of the customer evaluation? So the first things first is you really have to understand, A, what your objectives are and what your expectations out of going into a voice of a customer type of activity. Uh, I can't tell you how many companies come to us and, uh, and other organizations and, and they're always coming to us and saying, this is our objectives. This is what we're looking to achieve. But, you know, I believe heavily in the five whys principle. Um, ask, ask some more questions as to why is that your objective? And then all of a sudden you start to uncover some of the underlying things that they ultimately wanted, but weren't properly expressing. Okay. And so really having a thorough understanding as to what is it that you're looking to achieve out of this. Um, sometimes it's just a design and development factor. They need to move on to the next stage and are having some sort of complications. So they're looking for voice of customer as to how do they design a better product. Sometimes better is simpler. Sometimes better might, might require a few more steps to make it more effective, but you have to ask the customer what's important to them to do that. And then there's the strategic planning process that you just touched upon, having an opportunity to truly incorporate some of that, those voices into there. But in order to do that first, you have to have the right expectations and perspective as to what you're looking for, because then you can't set if you don't know what you're looking for, you can't set the right expectations for those subject matter experts when you do talk to them. Okay. And how often should you be going through a voice of the customer exercise? <sighs> you know, it, I, I tell you one thing, it, it's more than every five years. Uh, <laughs> um, I advocate and, o, and always have been a big advocate that, frankly, you should probably be doing it more often than than you are, regardless of whether you're doing it once a year or you're doing it every nine months, whatever it might might be, you really should be getting engaged with your customer segments more often than you should. The reason why is whether you're going from concept to development, get some voice of customer in there. We now live in a digital age. Answers and information are ubiquitous. They're all around us. We no longer have to look as an industry about things in a very linear perspective and saying, I'm going to look out to that society meeting. And then when all my primary customer targets are there, that's when I'll talk to them. And then the old way was we circled the date on a calendar and we said, hey, that's when I'll do it. You don't need to do that today. So therefore, take the opportunity to engage in some more informal voice of customer activities throughout the various stages of your design development processes and do the same thing in the strategic planning mode. Voice of customer isn't just a marketing term. It's very much an engineering term that should be incorporated in that. So have it be in the first stage, the second stage, and then as you're designing your marketing strategy, make sure you're, you're incorporating that. And if you've done it periodically throughout the product life cycle and the company life cycle, you should have you should have a much more smoother um, uh, uh, experience for not only the customers but also for your internal teams. You know, one of the most frustrating things in, in, in having experiences, one of the most frustrating things for any med tech or any good development company is the starts and stops, the fits that come up, right? Something there where somebody comes in with a new idea and a new input at the last minute and, and the engineering team just raises their hands in frustration and says, we've been working on this. Why didn't you tell us that before? 
But if you do these voice of customer opportunities more often and more frequently, you're not going to have those starts and stops. You're going to have an opportunity to really meld with what the, what the customer cohort and what the market is looking for throughout the process. And for somebody to pursue the voice of the customer, what kinds of tools that can they employ to get this feedback from the customer? So there's so many tools. I mean, it boils down to the traditional ones, uh, surveys. Okay, those surveys can be done in a in a email format, a digital format, written format. You can do more um, kind of focus group type of uh, engagements, whether those be virtual, which is what we are now seeing a greater proliferation of, or you do an in person. Um, but really, what you're looking for is to engage truly engage your, your target customers. And, and that's one thing I just want to talk about real quick, that targeting. The targeting customer, you know, we have people who come to us and they say, yes, I, I want to pull, uh, let's just take orthopedic surgeons. Um, and we want to get some information from orthopedic surgeons. Well, the way medicine is today, it's so specialized. There are very few generalist orthopedic surgeons. They have now become specialized in shoulder, in knee, in back, in hip, whatever it may be. So truly understand who is it that you want to talk to so you can achieve those expectations. This way, when you decide to do a survey, okay, and you put a survey out to market, you're sending them to the knee specialist. You're sending them to the ankle specialist, whoever it may be. And that survey should probably be a precursor to some sort of virtual in-person focus group where now you're actually having a communication, a dialogue. And that's really what a, a focus group should be, is a dialogue. Shouldn't be monotonous. It shouldn't be uh, one of those things where it's just spoken one way. It should really be an opportunity for you to ask a question and then not always be so prescriptive, but have an opportunity to have a dialogue with that person. Go off script. If they start talking about something that is interesting and it wasn't in your pre-plan, well, why don't you explore that a little further? That's the beauty of having a focus group and being able to speak to people in a either a group dynamic or an individual dynamic one-on-one -on -one so that you can really learn a little bit further and ask those five whys, if you will. So are we talking about the um, possibly layering in the different tools? So a, a survey that people, let's say they could respond to that digitally via email or whatever, that would might be the first step to get a broad response. And then you layer in perhaps some individual um, interviews one-on-one, -on -one, could be virtual, could be face-to-face. -face. And then finally, you might have a group interview and, and the individual interviews and the group uh, focus group could be something where you're diving into greater detail. Yeah. It, it, if you're entering into one of these, again, we talk about setting up the clear objectives and goals. Okay. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it's a process to get that information and to get the right information that you need from a wide enough audience. So using that as kind of a funnel technique, what you just kind of described, starting with the survey, getting some insights from 50, 100 specialized people to give you some insights, then taking that information and then maybe doing some more virtual kind of one-on-one -on -one focus groups where you're having that dialogue with a few individuals here and there, and then maybe engaging with another 
another virtual focus group, maybe in a group setting. And then, you know, it's not to say that you still shouldn't look at that circled calendar date and saying that scientific meeting is in August and that's where we're going to have a big one. Do some of these things that lead up to that so that whenever you are in more of a group setting, it's, an, it's a very effective um, opportunity to get all the answers and needs that you have. And then it shouldn't just end with that scientific meeting. It shouldn't just end there. Follow that up. Follow that up afterwards. Scientific meetings tend to present a lot of information to those subject matter experts. So some of their opinions and thoughts do shift as a result of some of the information they're now exposed to. So don't just look at it as a crescendo, you know, here's the end of it. Look at it as an opportunity of how do I follow up now with some of those people? Because if you do that throughout, again, you will have a much more seamless process throughout your planning, development, and designing phases um, that just makes it, it just makes your organization and your internal teams that much more effective when they're out there presenting what they need to present. And how do you keep a a company or one of your clients honest in terms of the process of setting up their expectations and perhaps the the list of questions that they're going to ask in a survey and then the one-on-ones in the focus group so they don't miss something important. In other words, they might lean toward what they view as the strengths of their particular technology, and that's all they're asking about, but they're not asking something that you see with your broader experience that they should be addressing. How, how do you handle that diplomatically? So it starts with kind of like what what I just referenced with the five whys, right? We ask why and a series of why questions. What and then what are they trying to achieve? Why do they want to achieve that? Why are you looking for that answer? Where are you going to insert that answer into the into your process? Is this an engineering focus? Is it a design focus? Is it the development focus, or is it a marketing value proposition focus? I mean, you know, uh, Barbara did such a great job in the last session talking about from a provider standpoint all the things that she's looking down to, and ultimately it boils down to simplicity. She wants a clear, concise value proposition, but. So if you don't understand those five whys and get to the simplest, smallest part of that, that's the first part of that. Uh, that that's, that's really the most important element that you really need to focus on. Second to that, it's kind of breaking down bigger concepts, bigger ideas, and bigger uh, focus into much smaller parts. Okay? okay. The old adage of how do you eat an elephant? Well, one bite at a time. <laughs> um, so, uh, so if you can break things down to the smaller pieces and really begin to focus. So when we talk about doing a survey to start off, well, we don't just put out, we don't just receive the inputs from our customers and all of a sudden say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We work with them to kind of massage the questions. And then we do a lot of testing. So it, let's just say they're looking for 50 people, uh, 50 survey respondents. We don't just put this out to a mass audience and say, here it is. We typically try to do a little A-B testing with the questions. So we'll put it out to a select test group first, see how the respondents reacted. Uh, you'd be amazed at how just rephrasing some questions or reordering some questions changes the response rate 
um, of some of the surveys. So okay. we, we work on doing some tests out there to ensure is the response rate where we expect it to be. If we put it out to 100 people, do are we getting the response rate that we expect? Are they completing the surveys? Because a lot of people start a survey and then they get to question three and question three is eight pages long and they're just intimidated by it. And so now we recognize, hey, question three, we have to scrap that or at least reword it in some fashion so that we can get what we're looking for. So again, sub-segmenting that not only by target market, but also by how you're going to approach uh, and bring that out. And it's the same thing with the focus groups. For the focus groups, before you get into the big group setting, okay, whether it be virtual or in person, we always advocate for doing some one-on-ones first. Get accustomed to that dialogue. Be, be ready for some of the answers that you didn't predict that you might receive, okay? And then don't always go into these sessions saying, hey, this is what we're looking to achieve. I already know the answers, right? One of the great things you said at the beginning of your segment there was get off the ivory tower, be honest with yourself. And you have to approach this with an open-minded uh, and honest approach. And if you really look at things at their smallest level, that's going to give you the opportunity to get to that fifth why. And that's your need to build that value proposition. Okay. So we've got a good voice of the customer. We've got all this input. What's next? And now you've got to make it actionable. Okay. And so now you've got to have an opportunity to promote that and, and create the sound value proposition to promote. This is where what Barbara talked about, and this is what Barbara does so well for the entire med tech community, is she ta- if you come to her or, or if you have the right team to do it internally and you have the right voice of customer inputs in there, you should be able to create a value proposition that truly resonates. It's simple to understand. It speaks to their direct needs. You're not trying to jam something to them. You're actually speaking to a direct need that they have because you've heard it from them. And that's really one of the rubs that that uh, Barbara was talking about last time is people coming to me and trying to force feed me something. I'm saying, well, I don't have that problem. Well, if you do the right voice of customer, you're going to identify the challenges and where your product and or company can serve, uh, serve those things. So from there, once you have that value proposition properly laid out, now it comes time to promotion. And that's where we where we really start to incorporate more of those KOLs, those key opinion leaders. Okay. And in today's world, once you have that value proposition, the old world was you give it to your, your sales team and you have them disperse and go bring it locally. But why aren't you matching that with a national focus? And again, the way companies traditionally did it is they circled that scientific calendar. Uh, scientific date on the calendar and said, that's when we're going to hire a KOL to do a speaking session. And that's great. And you should be doing that, but you can be augmenting that in today's world with the digital environment, host a webinar, put it out there to that entire community of orthopedic ankle specialists. They will want to hear, attach a CME to it. Okay. And bring a well-respected key opinion leader up there to speak to the solutions that are now available in the market. So it's not just all of a sudden you're waiting for those in attendance on August 15th to walk away with some sort of actionable insight and hoping that you've created a good lead. Create an opportunity to build that up. Start doing that now. These webinars 
are so effective if you position it properly. If your value proposition is sound and you're able to create a message that resonates, people will come. And if they come, then the nice opportunity is when that society meeting is on August 15th, August 16th, you may not just have a lead that you're trying to nurture. You may actually have a actual, actual prospect that you're actually ready to, uh, to engage as a customer. Okay. So we've got a voice of customer. We've got a value proposition um, that we have crafted and tested, and now we're rolling it out and we're going to use the power of key opinion leaders and subject matter experts to help disseminate that value proposition on behalf of, of the company and the technology. How has that dissemination process changed in the post-COVID world? It's it, it's great, you know. I, I've said this repeatedly before. I feel like COVID has changed the time continuum for for med tech. Okay, and I don't want to talk like Dr. Emmett Brown. Um, I'm not going to get my DeLorean out here, but just just for reference, things are not as linear as they used to be. Um, Time is now, because of the digital age and the digital technology and resources that we have in front of us, the ability to connect with your customers in today's world is so much easier than it's ever been before. Yes. Can you just put a Facebook advertisement? Is it always simply as effective? Is it just easy to create an email? No, it's not easy to just do that if you just do that unilaterally. But if you actually focus and you have a right value proposition and you work scientifically to think back about what is the messaging we're trying to create and how do we reach these people in ways that really resonates with them and reach them in multiple uh, formats. You know, that's why we talk a lot about omni-channel, but it's also multimedia, using all the media uh, opportunities that are present to us and the technologies that are present to us. And if you do that effectively, you can bend time. Don't just sit there and look for that, for those magnanimous events that we all used to look for, uh, whether it was a series of scientific meetings or smaller trade shows or conferences and waiting for those to come out. And that's when you're going to showcase your new product. That's when you're going to showcase your new value proposition. Start to build that now. Take the opportunity, take the take a series of KOLs, incorporate them in and, and have them buy in to what you're trying to achieve, not from a marketing perspective. You don't need them to favor just the, the feature benefit. Have them buy in as to why the technology that you're developing really serves a true purpose. And if you can do that and you can start bending that time curve now by reaching out to them via Facebook, by reaching out to them via LinkedIn, by utilizing social media and also incorporating so many elements of webinars, and and Facebook live streaming and opportunities like that, you are going to showcase now that brand trust and confidence that they're looking for. That's the experience. That's that clinical experience that we talk about. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Skender. And I'm going to bring some additional people on to uh, interrogate you a little bit, ask some bring other questions. So I'd like the other panelists to uh, come on board, unmute yourselves and turn on your videos, Scott, Frank, Barbara, and Mike. And um, we're ready to fire away. If you've got a question or observation, 
I think oh. I probably answered everything already. They're, they're probably good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good, guys. I really don't have anything to, to add. Yeah, yeah. It's what a like comedian crew. Yeah. I know we did have a question from uh, the audience even before we started the program. And so since it's sort of provider related, I'll sort of kick things off. But the question was, who at the hospital is the main customer? And so they threw out, you know, the end user, the recommender, the buyer, et cetera. So in general, the answer is yes. Uh, not any one of those folks. So I'm looking at it from a value analysis point of view. So if we're going to look at something who are my internal customers are the same customers you should be including in the voices. So it's going to be that key physician or physician group or area that uh, whether they're nurses, technologists, those leads that are going to know the work the best. And then there's going to be, if it's a piece of equipment, I might have biomed be some of the voice of the customer. If you've got an onboarded computer or a handheld, I'm going to have IT because is it compatible? Is it something interfaceable? What's that going to be? So you're going to have a variety of folks. So you might start with value analysis just to get an idea of who are all the key opinion leaders and the voices that we need to have on there? So there's contracting a variety of folks. So it's not just uh, sometimes I was presented with, well, we asked five key physicians around the country and this is what they wanted. And I go, okay, who else did you ask? Or I always would ask, who was your focus group? Because it didn't seem exactly logical. So started there. Yeah. So, you know, just building upon that, there's two two things I want to talk about. Number one is the strength of an end value. Um, too many companies uh, certainly think that they have their their uh, medical advisory board, their clinical advisory board. And there's, those are all great. Um, the thing is, if you can if you can prescriptively determine what their answer is going to be to a question, uh, then all you're doing is using them as validation for things that you want instead of going outside. Um, and trying to get a bigger number and bigger opinions and bigger insight from other people. That's really use the medical advisory board effectively to bring some of those opinions from outside and then bounce them off of them and saying, hey, we pulled this group of surgeons, these group of nurses on these insights. Tell us, how does that resonate with what you with what each of you, you sees in your practice? And that's how to make the most effective use of that. So that was good. The other thing I just want to touch upon is one of the things that uh, I always worked on when I was uh, doing sales training, et cetera, is I always talked about closing the circuit. There's a circuit that you have to close. And you don't have to be an electrician to understand, you know, if you have an open circuit, right? We've all seen Christmas vacation and Clark is going up <laughs> because he just doesn't have that, that circuit closed. Um, and that's why the lights aren't working. But you have to, it's the most, sometimes it's the most benign and innocuous part of that circuit that you're overlooking, yet it doesn't allow it to flow. I, we've talked to so many equipment companies out there and they have these incredible technologies designed to sterilize the room and yet sometimes they always forget to talk to the one evs person who manages the night shift and they always look overlook that person yet frankly that's probably one of the most critical people to involve in the process they did a great job through the value analysis team did a great job in supply chain a great job with the clinical team 
and, and spoke to most of the EVS team, just the one that they missed. And that one allows that circuit to be broken. So when you ask about who's your customer, the answer is yes, it's all of them. That's how you close that circuit. Go ahead, Scotty. Yeah, I was just going to jump in. I think market research and voice of the customer ultimately comes down to where are you wrong? And most, most folks like to come in and say, right, rightfully, we all have egos. We don't like to be, you know, have them bruised. So we want to say, hey, where are we right? And I think that's the wrong mentality. It needs to be, where am I wrong? What am I doing wrong that I can fix now when it's cheap and fast versus after we launch the product, after we you know, miss our numbers, whatever the case might be. So Skinner, I was just going to ask the question, how do, you, how do you work with somebody to go through building out that market research plan, that voice of customer plan? To, to find out where they're wrong as opposed to where they're right. Yeah, so first, the first thing we try to do is just get a sense for the, the culture and the personality types. Um, yeah. you know, and that's really the first thing, right? Are we dealing with people who are by nature open-minded and can handle that, what am I doing wrong? Because as we all know, if you're dealing with somebody who always thinks they're right and you start telling them they're wrong, they think the whole system's wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. They think you're wrong as, as their partner, the vendor, whoever you may be, or the, the, the society doesn't know what they're looking for, et cetera. So first you've got to break down that personality type and, and we try to appeal to some of what's going to get them to, to get over the hump. Sometimes it's just the massaging of messaging and saying, it, it sounds like what you have is great. Are you prepared? Or what are your thoughts? What is going to be your insight if you receive something that comes from out of bounds, whether it be by a 5% difference or a 80% difference, what are, what's going to be your contingency should that evolve? Because you know your market, you know your products better than we do, but are you prepared for that? And so it's just a lot of kind of massaging and working with them to get them to understand that. If things don't go the way you have that vision to go to, then let's identify that. The other thing we talk about is just kind of consistently doing that sub-segmenting, okay, mm -hmm. and sub-segmenting of questions. And I keep saying the same things, right? Five whys and sub-segmenting. If we do those two and we continuously ask those five whys, why are you looking to achieve this? What's your goals, et cetera, et cetera. Usually if we do it in the right format, we can have any personality type eventually get to a point where they expect they can expect a wide variety of outcomes. And then it's, how are you going to, how are you going to uh, properly work to achieve uh, uh, and create actionable insights on those outcomes that come out? Did that answer the question, Scott? It did. Yeah. I mean, I think you've answered it really well. It's basically about build that plan, understand the whys, and then, you know, get, get further and further down and talk to the night, the night EBS guy is, is the big takeaway. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yep. You're you're bringing back a lot of memories. Um, I don't know if you remember this from statistics, but um, in my my background in psychology, if you came up with a hypothesis, you had to be willing to reject the null hypothesis if the feedback is less than five percent. And when I look at suppliers, how many are willing to take the alternative hypothesis? If it's rejected, right? So I, most people can't. No, no, you're right. You're right. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I've been involved in engineering meetings where the engineers like, you know, we're giving them different insights, and the engineers like, well, this is what we created. You figure it out. Uh, <laughs> and, and and frankly, that happens, right? There's been polls, there's been articles written about this, about how companies just spend five years designing a product, 
And then it becomes one of those things where they're like, well, we've invested all this money and yes, it may not be the right product, but we've got to find a way to bring it to market. And you know, it's, it, it, it always shocks me when they're surprised that it was a, that it was a failure. Yeah. yeah so, so that's kind of a, so I know I did more of a, um, sorry to put you on the spot. I mean, it was more of a statement and a question, but my question becomes now, once you do provide this data and you come back with good data analytics, that whole reverse engineering process, um, how effective do they become to reverse engineer in really coming up with something that the voice of the customer wants versus just trying to manipulate what they've already, already created? So it kind of comes down to working with them to explore the range of outcomes that could mm -hmm. come, you know, coming back to what I referenced with Scott's question, you know, if we're dealing with somebody who simply wants validation um, and, and anything outside of that outcome is, is just, it's non-existent or it shouldn't be there and it's an anomaly. But so what we really try to work with customers is to understand there is a range of outcomes. Now we will work with the statistics to identify which of those ranges tend to be more prevalent. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe there's groupings, you know, maybe there's five outcomes, but really one, two, and three kind of belong in one category and four and five become in another. So if we can get them on the front end to understand the psychology of that, hopefully we can get them to understand that, yes, you expected, you know, two ranges of outcome. We got six. Um, and it really turns out that the customers was were telling you that numbers four and five are the most important to them. And, and maybe you've gone down the pathway where you've invested so much already on one and two, and maybe it's just, just something where you can tweak, just little tweaks. It doesn't always have to be, I mean, again, we talked about this on a last webinar, uh, where every, I think med tech in general, we tend to see things as always being these huge, huge endeavors. And we look at it as the big picture, yet again, it comes back to that elephant uh, example. I shared. If you can just take that one bite at a time, and maybe you don't need to recreate or remaster or create this whole initiative, but if you can create it in a much smaller and just look at it as smaller elements, little tweaks to the strategic plan, little tweaks to the marketing messaging, you have an opportunity to take that product and be able to speak to those other outcomes that the voice of customer produced for you. It just has to do with being open-minded.